Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined by two-thirds of the trio here, Matasis and Doug Bowman. How are you gentlemen doing on this fine Monday? Uh, I'm pretty good. Braves have won two in a row over the Los Angeles Dodgers in walk-off fashion. Two, two away from the World Series, so... You know, at least there's some positives out of this weekend. Can't say the same for myself. My beloved Washington football team loses yet again. Matei, can you find... This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Any semblance of joy in your weekend in the events that went down from Friday to Sunday? The only thing football-related... 4-0, I'm in four fantasy leagues, 4-0, edged one out by one point. Shout out Khalil Herbert for the 19 points he got in one of my leagues. That's big. That's big. I was looking to pick up Khalil Herbert, but in in a league full of Virginia Tech alumni, it was too little too late. Someone was storing him on the bench, and of course, he comes up big in, in yet another Chicago Bears loss to Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. But Loss will be a theme here. Virginia Tech falls short. You are judged by your performance in the big ones in a game that was billed to be not a championship, I would say, but a pass to the driver's seat in the Atlantic division. Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech lay an egg. A 28-7 to loss at home in front of What at least started as a great home crowd at homecoming at Lane Stadium, that did not last long. Pittsburgh asserted their dominance from the first whistle to the final one. I want to start with you guys on this and and just take a broad-based view, a 10,000-foot view, if you will, on how you're feeling after a loss like this. Doug, you wrote a fantastic article on 247sports.com, kind of just looking at this as a moratorium on the Fuente era. Tell us how you're feeling, man. Therapy here. Yeah, obviously not great. Um, you know, it 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 was it was a game. I was at Mate and I were talking about this before. I was at the 2019 Duke game as well, and it felt similar. Maybe even worse this time. You kind of, you, I thought it was revealing of of where we are in the in the Justin Fuente era. Um, it felt it felt like everybody watching it at the same time was already resigned to the fact that not only is Virginia Tech going to lose, but this was the this was the the moment everybody kind of started heading down that I I think a lot of people were already well down the path of whether this is Justin Fuente's last season, but this was the, the game that, you know, kind of drove it home and coming out. They had that. They certainly had a chance there early um, getting the ball at the 50 two out of the first three times and going three and out Um, just a listless performance, nothing, going offensively um it was basically a culmination of all the struggles that you could pack in and and what i think it was pretty expected is what the the main problem was was this was not a this was not a game anyone expected virginia tech to win much less 
be particularly close and what we all expected to happen happened which is which is pretty much the entire deal if if you're coaching a team that's expected to lose by two touchdowns going in that's a big problem and then you put to put forth an effort like that that has that come true that's you know that's why i think we're going down the road of you know this is this is coming to an end yeah, I mean, when you look at the context of one game, I, I, I'm even looking back all the way to the season uh, predictions that we did, and most people had Pittsburgh winning this game. Even you know, leading up to this week, when you have more context, Pittsburgh is the expected victor in this game. But I think you know the the number one word that just described this game was hopelessness. You know, there, there's a fan base that continually shows up each and every time, gives everything they have, invests everything they have, resources, time into the program. And time after time, when the stakes and the stage is at its highest, Virginia Tech falls flat. And that's what makes this so tough to swallow because it's not just a Pittsburgh game where, you know, like you're saying, the ACC Coastal may be on the line for this game, maybe not. But, you know, when Virginia Tech has a chance to right the ship, to, you know, get past the slumps of losing in these big games. They just seem to fall flat. And the way that they did it, you know, credit to the defense. I thought they played one heck of a game. But this is Justin Fuente. This is the guy that was brought in to build an offense that was going to compete towards the top of the ACC. And he musters seven points against a Pittsburgh team that, you know, they're not Georgia on the defensive front. They're not, you know, one of the best defenses in the country. This is an exploitable team that lost to Western Michigan and gave up 41 points at that. And, you know, we we talked for many weeks on this podcast, dissecting the offense, talking about, you know, I think I said it might be the least talented team, but they have means to put up points on the board. But when the talent isn't there, the coaching isn't there, and everything falls flat and it just feels like even though it's 21 points that Virginia Tech can't even get back into the game because that 21 feels like 48. That's a huge problem and the hopelessness from the fan base that they don't have a product to believe in. That's that's where we are right now. And this isn't the first time that we've been here and it probably isn't the last time that we're going to be here. And it, it doesn't seem like the coaching staff has any solutions on how to write the ship and the opportunities are starting to dwindle. And, and that just makes things feel very hopeless. Yeah. And, and hopelessness. I mean, you talk about 21, nothing, frankly, from where I was sitting in the West stands of Lane stadium, when Pittsburgh went up seven, nothing, I lost a lot of hope right then and there. Because we knew what this Pittsburgh offense brought to the table coming into the game. I mean, us three and Evan as well had a pretty negative outlook coming in. But you always have that feeling right before the game that maybe they can muster something up. Because in fairness, Justin Fuente, in the past, you think back to that 2019 Duke game when they make the switch to Hendon Hooker in a game where no one really expected them to win, and it kind of came out of nowhere, and they did write that ship, at least during ACC play for an extended period of time. It was a team that, I mean, that Duke loss, in my opinion, was objectively worse than what we saw against Pitt because that Duke team ended up being nothing. And they came from the depths of that to being one game away from an ACC championship game appearance, which where this program is at right now has to be the goal. And that was the goal that we were shooting for. And it seemed like, look, the odds are stacked against you. But in the words of Dumb and Dumber, you know, so you're saying there's a chance. We're going onto the field. We're playing the game. Center Street's awesome. The fans showed out, as you mentioned, like they have done for years and years and years, despite the wavering results of the product on the field. So what I saw was something that I think had been slowly progressing to a point over time, starting with the second half of that North Carolina game, which was an offense that 
continued to get battered in terms of personnel. Obviously, we'd like to see James Mitchell out there. And not only do they seem like they're lacking creativity and talent on the field, but it seems like defenses are figuring them out even more game by game by game. And we reached an impasse where it was offensively perhaps the least inspiring performance I've seen from a Virginia Tech football team in years. And that's including the the lows of lows in that 2018 season when you know things got from bad to worse in a hurry. So for fans, yes, it's just one game. And yes, me as a guy that predicted seven and five, and I'm sure you guys were either in the same boat or or right near there. It's like, yeah, this is where we thought we would be. But looking ahead, you have a vulnerable schedule and yet a whole lot more questions than answers if you're Virginia Tech and this offense and Braxton Burmeister. And I want to turn to him, Doug, because 11 for 32. I mean, all the credit in the world to the kid because it looks like he's coming out there with a lot of heart. The passing game that was supposed to be the best in six years is pathetic. It's, It's simply bad. The general consensus has been that he's the best option, but from what you saw on Saturday, is he? I still think he's the best option, which is a uh, another indictment of Justin Fuente and the roster management of the last five seasons. I think that's that's probably the biggest. If you wanted, you there. So there are many, many reasons why Virginia Tech is not a good football program right now. The simplest version is they just haven't gotten the quarterback position right in the last five years, um, and and they're left now with a situation where it's Burmeister and Knox Kadem, and and you know most of the time the the backup quarterback is the favorite favorite guy on the team. Everybody wants to see him, but I think. I think everybody's pretty much on board with that Burmeister's the best that they have at this point. And that's 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 where it's hard to like where is this going next year if, if Fuente sticks around where maybe Burmeister comes back. Is that good enough? And if not, if he doesn't come back, who's gonna play quarterback? Um clear they could go to the portal and get somebody, but you know, the the the, the process of building the program is is clearly not working when you're, you know, five years after Gerard Evans and still can't figure that out. Um, Burmeister, you know, I I think the wind was a little bit of a factor, but, uh, you know, just not anywhere near good enough. Pittsburgh dares you to throw the ball down the field on their cornerbacks, and Tech certainly tried, uh, but that was that's clearly not the strength of Braxton Burmeister, not the strength of this Virginia Tech offense. So, that was a recipe for disaster and it came true. Um, so it's, it's a situation that is not good and doesn't appear to be getting better. And that's what, you know, we were watching those first three or four games of the year, particularly those middle Tennessee state and Richmond games. And you're, you're hoping to see progress and the passing game start to come alive and look more confident and all that stuff. And it just hasn't happened. And that's, and and that's that's a problem going into this week and the rest of the year where, you know, I don't think you can count on this offense to to do much of anything going forward. Yeah, and, and we talked about, you know, just a few short minutes ago of the tenor of this podcast not becoming too negative. But unfortunately, I, I don't know if there's really anywhere else to go because the running game is not inspiring either. And we can question this running back rotation because, I mean, it's what, with the exception of last year where Khalil Herbert emerged as that number one star, Justin Fuente has been doing. But, I mean, ultimately, Malachi Thomas is your leading rusher in that game with, what, just just 33 yards on the ground. And as a team, trying to get the exact number here in front of me because I don't want to misquote, but... 90 yards. <laughs> yep. 90 yards on 28 attempts. That's 3.2 yards per carry. They're kept out of the end zone. The running back rotation is an issue, but, you know, from a year to year perspective here, this offensive line has definitely taken a step back from a group that last year that I felt was one of the best units we've seen in program history. <laughs> it's like, where can this offense turn, right? I do want to say. 
the running game has been the biggest disappointment of any of the aspects of the offense, in my opinion. You can say that Braxton Burmeister has not performed, lived up to expectations, but even dating back to last year, he was kind of that game manager that could operate the offense at a high level, get guys where they need to be, get the ball where it needs to be, and make the thing work. He doesn't need to put up 300 yards passing for this offense to put up points. Now it seems like he does because of the running game. What I will say is that Virginia Tech did make adjustments in the second half. I know it didn't work out in the long run. And, you know, credit also to Pittsburgh. They have a good run D. But um, it looks like Parker Clements is the guy at right tackle. That's a positive sign. The first positive in, you know, maybe this entire podcast so far. Right guard, I think, is the position to watch with Silas Danzi. And uh, we'll see if Caden Moore, if they split time there. But at least in that second drive, uh, coming out of halftime, they were able to have a 75-yard touchdown drive. Um, And it was mainly because they got more physical up front. putting in Silas there, um, Parker Clements doing a good job at right tackle. They were able to march down the field and put up points. When you think of this Virginia Tech offense, they were able to run the ball at least effectively against UNC um, that, again, at the time had this great stellar run defense. Um, but now it's about reestablishing that. And I think it's interesting that Justin Fuente and, you know, after game six says, you know, we need to find the identity for Virginia Tech. I think now you run out that same offensive line, those same five guys, uh, put Silas at right guard, keep Parker at right tackle. And you have to find a way to run the football because Braxton Burmeister, one, uh, you know, isn't fully healthy. And two, uh, you know, you need you need to commit to the running game. You need to start draining the clock, manage this game. And if you have to win every single game, 17 to 14, I mean, that might have to be the formula for Virginia Tech. So is the running game atrocious? Yes, it's probably the best thing on this Virginia Tech offense, considering how much they've committed to the pass. Um, But you have to find that identity. And I think, you know, it was a positive step to switch to those five guys on the offensive line. We'll see what happens from here. But moving forward, you have to commit more to the running game because, look, Jalen Holston, five carries, 18 yards. Say what you want and how disappointing he's been this year. But I don't think the Virginia Tech offense has given him enough chances to be that guy or given enough chances to Raheem Blackshear to be that guy. And I think the formula of a hurt Braxton Burmeister throwing downfield to Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson, it's it's just it's not working. So as as much and as great as the running game, you know, is one of the best in program history last year you know there's still a chance to find success through the ground game okay and i like the creativity there and i like the look at a positive angle but i feel like some of our listeners are are just thinking you know we got to call a spade a spade at this point and this offense is incapable doug do you believe that they can find an angle, I guess, kind of like Matei is saying, where they could find that niche and make this work because we have a quarterback conundrum with no easy solution and a running back room that the coaching staff themselves can't seem to manage. It doesn't seem like they've been able to evaluate their own talent. And what we've gotten is a different product from week to week. Yeah, I don't have much confidence at this point. Uh the offensive line. I mean, you're the 120th total offense in the country. It's a team effort when you when you get to that point. Um, Burmeister, we've talked about him. Matei covered the running backs. The offensive line is what it is. It's not as good as I thought it was going to be. I think it's not as good as you know. I, I was really thinking that Tanuta, Lucita Smith, Brock Hoffman, left side of the line would 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 carry the load um, there, but that clearly hasn't happened. Um, I just don't think I mean, that's that's the area where if there's going to be improvement, it's going to be because the offensive line starts moving people. Um, I don't think. Any of the running backs are going to suddenly break out and start picking up chunk yardage on their own. They need the first the help in that first five yards um, to get any kind of push from the offensive line. So maybe they can find something with Parker Clements there at right tackle. Uh, 
you know, who, who knows? I, I just think it's, it's tough to see it at this point after what we saw Saturday, after what we saw against Richmond, after what we saw for most of the day against West Virginia and, and North Carolina. This is, this is an offense that struggles and is going to struggle. And, you know, Matei talked about winning games 17 to 14. It, it, it's got to be that, um, you know, I was looking at the 2018. team. I wrote about it over the bye week, but it was a, just an absolutely atrocious offense. They, they scored 30 points once the entire season and somehow won the Coastal. Um, you're talking about, like, maybe Duke 14-3, to UVA 17-14. Don't Maryland. have much confidence in that, the way that uh, Mr. Armstrong's playing there in Charlottesville. No, going to need some more points there. Uh, Maryland, they beat them 23. So, like, that's the... I guess the blueprint for a terrible offense and still having success, but that, that, that seems like a stretch at this point. I want to ask how real this is right now, because we all have a Twitter account. I'm sure many of our listeners do. And if they don't, I'm sure they're all over the 24 seven boards, fire Fuente, (laughs) a reoccurring theme. Every time I look at my cell phone, We know that that's in the cards. We've known that that was in the cards before the season started. But you see what happened with Ed Orgeron. USC is already an open job. And there is an argument to be made that a program would benefit from allowing the pool of potential coaching candidates to know that their job is available. At the same time, that buyout number drops on December 15th. And we know from a lot of the conversation around Fuente's job last year that finances are going to play a role in this. What would it take, if anything, for us to be sitting here one, two, three Mondays from now and saying there is currently a coaching vacancy at Virginia Tech? I I think it would take a at this point, I think it would take an absolute collapse, like just a pure quit by the the players basically where you're losing to Syracuse losing to Georgia Tech and not particularly close um I, I don't think there's much benefit to pulling the plug early or this early um I think once you get later in November you start you know you could that that starts to make a little more sense I just think with six weeks to go um that feels like a completely miserable experience for everybody involved. If you pull the plug now, um, particularly, I don't see a great interim head coach. I guess maybe Justin Hamilton, but you've got a lot of Fuente guys on the offensive side of the ball. I think it just gets way too messy right now to pull the plug, unless you know. Unless the bottom falls out and it's just you don't have any other option. I, I, you know, I think he's got a chance here. However slim it is, it's still the coastal. You know, I think right now you're still competing for the coastal. You're if if you care about the players at all, you're going to give them every chance to to see this thing through. And I don't I don't think removing a coach at this point gives them the best chance, no matter where you think you know, Virginia Tech should go with the head coaching spot. I, I don't think right now is um, right now or in the next three weeks or so, barring a, a complete collapse is the right decision. I understand the sentiment too. A lot of people are fed up. And again, we talked about this. This was, you know, the 10,000 foot view. This isn't, you know, this Pittsburgh game, this result, this hopelessness isn't the first time the fan base has felt that in six years. You know, it's been multiple times, but at the same time, when you think about Whit Babcock and the decisions he has to make, it was, what, nine months ago when he fully committed to Justin Fuente saying, we believe we have our guy. We're not throwing the defensive staff like a, we're not throwing a baby out of bathwater. Um, he fully committed to the staff. And I think no matter what, no matter what happens from here, Justin Fuente is going to coach till after that UVA game. Um, and I just think, you know, it's it's fair to look now and see LSU, USC, uh, other you know major coaching openings that's going to attract a lot of names. But you know, to be fair, that th- those pool of names in Virginia Tech do not match. And not today. Where, 
wherever wherever Wit is going to look, I it's not going to be a guy. I I don't believe it's going to be someone from a P five program with you know ample experience. It's going to be a guy you take a shot on. That's that's kind of how Wit operates. Um, and I, I just don't see the benefit of, you know, having, you know, you pretty much have a lame duck head coach. Now everyone kind of knows it that there's no benefit in, in removing the guy right now and just watching a dumpster fire become even more of a dumpster fire, making the program, you know, completely that nobody would want to join this program. So I think he coaches till the end of the season. We'll see what happens from there. I think there, you know, Aside from fan expectations and wants and desires, I'm curious to see what it takes to, you know, what what has to happen for Justin Fuente to even leave here because a lot of people thought he was gone after last year. So if if he ends up winning a few more of these games, making a bowl game, beating Virginia, let's say, um, or, you know, it comes down to... Um, you know, they were in the coastal race till the very last second and then they lost. Does he stay another year? I, I can't answer that. And, you know, Wit has seemed to stick by his side for a long time now. So I think aside from fan wants and desires, it's, you know, it's a very complicated equation that doesn't just go to this season and the results of all these games, which, uh, you know, it could get really bad from here on out. And that may not even matter. Yeah, I, I almost have a trifecta of points that goes along with what you guys are saying. And one turns to you here, Matei, and that is this impression where people are saying Luke Fickle to Virginia Tech. You know, you, you got to scoff at that because unfortunately, it's not the year 2012. And quite frankly, it's not the year 2016 when Virginia Tech had the opportunity to, I should say late 2015, but nonetheless, had the opportunity to go and get their pick of the litter when it came to that coaching crop that was available. And that man was Justin Fuente. Whip Babcock hired him. And by all indications, there does seem to be a feeling that Whip Babcock knows that his legacy is tied to this man. Which brings me to my third question for you guys. Is there a number that you look at that you can put on the board? Because I can definitely see the scenario that Matei just laid out for us where with a moderately promising finish to the season in a weak division where the record doesn't look that bad and they compete. And we have the same man as the leader of the program next year. I can't rule that out because it didn't happen last year when the bottom fell out at the end. Is there a number that you guys point to? I say no. I don't think there is a number. I, I really don't. I think I think there's so many there's so many things that go beyond the wins and losses of this season. Um, I, I think obviously if Justin Fuente were to lose out the remainder of the season, I, I, I don't even want to begin to understand the fan base's sentiment against the program. How many donors may, um, you know, stop their pledges from rolling into the program. Uh, it, it's more so those factors than I think it is wins and losses at this point, because I, I think, the way that Witt is looking at it, I, I I have to believe that he believes in Justin Fuente can can turn this thing around. And um, you're looking at some of the losses. Yes, West Virginia's bad at West Virginia. They lost to top 15 Notre Dame team, now a ranked Pittsburgh team. There's ways to justify it. I, it's cr as crazy as it sounds. And I know someone is probably listening to this in the car right now and slamming on their steering wheel, but there are ways to justify it. And that's why... I, I can't go out here and say there's a number because I, I truly don't believe there is. I think it's all the other factors outside of the season, support from big time donors and whatnot that that's going to determine the job. I think seven and five, eight and four, it's still murky. I you know, I think Whip Babcock can talk himself into another year at, at, at that. I mean, if seven and five is a four and two finish here, there's a if that happens, there's a chance that you could. You know, who knows who emerges over the last six games and starts to give you some hope at that point. But, you know, I think the main thing is I don't think for Jane Tex can go seven and five or eight and four over the last six games. And that's going to take the decision right out of it's it, The decision is going to be made for him. Um, you know, I was right. I wrote this today, but the, the Syracuse and Duke home games are not the kind of home games you want on the schedule here when you're trying to attract a crowd and 
and support and you know those could be extremely low attended very obvious what's happening kind of kind of atmospheres and kind of games so i I think everything's going to be laid on the table um you know certainly they could get to seven and five or eight and four and you know talk yourself into another year but uh, you know i think you also look at it from a ten thousand foot view and you look at what's coming back next year and it ain't much um Burmeister, I don't know. Maybe he comes back. Holston and Blackshear are gone, probably. Turner's probably gone. I doubt he sticks around another year. Um, you know, I think you're counting on like Tavion Robinson and maybe James Mitchell comes back from a torn ACL and an offensive line that's not any good. Barno maybe leaves. You know, there Jermaine Waller's been the best player on the field. He's gone. Um I think if you're Whit Babcock and you're looking at this and you're it's seven and five and you're like, where's where's the next wave? Where's the next group? Who who how is this gonna get better get any better? You know, if the answer is the transfer portal, I don't think that's a sustainable way to build a program or a sustainable way to maintain momentum and what you want out of your head coach so and i think that's um, shown over the yeah. past few years <laughs> yeah I, I mean everybody wants to look at michigan state this year as like this be shining example of how you can build a program from the transfer portal and that's that's like not normal that's not normal that's the exception to the rule and any but like you can't rely on that um over time so i just think i think the writing is on the wall i think it would take quite a turnaround. I mean, Virginia Tech's playing in the midst of, was it, seven games in seven weeks, and four out of the last five are on the road. They've only been on the road once this year. Um, it just doesn't. It just doesn't seem like it's likely that that there's even an, a choice at the end of the year. Yeah, and there's so many factors that play into this. And I'll always say this. When hiring a coach, when hitting that reset button, you need to know that the people, not just one, but every person that you have coming into that interview, every candidate available that you feel like you have a serious chance of getting, you can justify in your heart, this guy will be an upgrade from Justin Fuente. That being said, for a program in the state that Virginia Tech's program is in right now, a coaching transition is going to be something like chemotherapy. It's going to burn all down before it can come back if it does. And I think that with everything that you just explained, Doug, with who's going to be gone in the first place, if there was a year to hit the reset button, this would be the off season to do it because what are you going to do? Keep Justin Fuente just to, struggle again next season and ultimately fire him at, at a certain point, you're running around in circles and chasing your tail and you're not going to get the results that you're looking for. And I think that Whit Babcock, I credit him. We have seen the coaching hires that he has made across of a variety of sports. He seems to know what he's doing, but ultimately the Justin Fuente hire and the football program at large is going to be tied more seriously to his legacy than any other decision he makes as the athletic director at Virginia Tech, and he's going to have to make some adult decisions by the end of this season. With all that being said, you have a group of teams with Miami, Boston College, Duke, and Syracuse who have not totaled a single ACC win between them combined. And you have a Georgia Tech program that puts a different team on the field from week to week that lost to Northern Illinois in their home opener in front of their home fans. This should be right for the pickings for Virginia tech. If you just gave me any reason from an offensive perspective to feel confident, this team could outscore Blacksburg high school, <laughs> but, but it doesn't look like that right now. Let's just look ahead. We did our record predictions in late August, early September, Let's look ahead at the schedule. Where do you realistically think this thing lands if you had to put down a number today? It, it's so tough to say, especially after we just saw the offensive performance against Pittsburgh. I I would, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it a bit, but I would assume Syracuse is a win. Georgia Tech, I have no idea. I would not be the least bit surprised if Virginia Tech came out of Atlanta with a loss there. 
Boston College. You're not talking about the same Boston College from the beginning of the year with Phil Yurkovich out. Uh, Duke isn't that good. Miami, I mean, they're putting up points, but they can't win a game. And then UVA has a terrible defense, but, you know, Brennan Armstrong is is just throwing all over the field. So I, I don't know what to expect out of those, those last two games. I don't know what to expect out of Georgia Tech and BC. I would say Syracuse and Duke are the safest ones. Both of them are at home, but four of those games are on the road and there's going to be a WTF kind of game coming. You have to believe that that it's been one at least every single year, um, and I don't think Pitt's that only one this year. So I, I, you know, we, before the season, I said seven and five. I think six and six. I think they can go three and three for the for the remainder of the season. I think that's the safest bet that I would put my money on. Yeah, I like I like three and three too. I, you know, I don't. I, I'm a little skeptical about the Syracuse game this weekend. Um, I think they're they're competitive, and you know, I don't. I I think Virginia. I think that's a quite. This weekend's all about all about how much belief this the players have in the coaching staff, and and how much they want to stick with this. Um, you know, and then I think four out of five on the road to finish is just tough. I mean, going to Georgia Tech. You know, aside from that forty-five win, forty-five nothing win a couple couple years ago, that's that's always tough. Um, going to Boston College on a Friday night going to be tough. Going all the way down to Miami, then that's going to be tough. And then, and then UVA to me is basically Pittsburgh all over again with Brendan Armstrong and how good their offense has been playing. Their defense isn't as good, but you know who knows what that looks like. And there's a chance that they'll be still competing by that point. So you know, I, I just don't see. You know, Tech went three and three to start the year. Seems like they'll probably go three and three around there, give or take a game on either side. I could see seven and five or five and seven, but I think three, three and three to finish six and six is most likely. I mean, I think you feel good about that Duke game and then like maybe Syracuse, maybe Georgia Tech, you know, there's just not a whole lot of confidence there. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting final six games for sure. Yeah, it, it'll be what it'll be. And I don't mean to completely echo what you guys are saying, but I think in, in the first week of the season against North Carolina, what we thought was this extravagant moment, perhaps a turning point for Justin Fuente in the program, ultimately amounts to a blueprint of how this team, as constructed in 2021, is capable of winning football games. And we've seen it, and it's possible, and it's going to require – a lights-out defensive performance, limiting offensive possessions on the other side, and the offense maximizing their ability and controlling the ball and putting points on the board. But going forward, I mentioned the zero combined ACC wins and the, quite frankly, lackluster performances that Virginia Tech's upcoming opponents have put up to this point in the season. And I think that there are probably equivalent podcast to what we're doing for those teams with a negative tone as well. But if you can't score, you can't win. And we could barely put points on the board against a Richmond spiders team. <laughs> like It is what it is. So how much do you expect this offense to improve? Quite frankly, not much, at least from this man's perspective. And how much can you rely on the defense to be this stopgap fail shape? That's just going to win you games. And, that's quite frankly not sustainable. So three and three sounds about right. There's not a game on the schedule, perhaps with the exception of Duke, that I'm even penciling in a W here. I, I think as has been characteristic of the Justin Fuente era, we are going to be in for a few more three-hour stomach aches before this man either somehow vindicates himself or or, or gets out of town. And... <laughs> I, I suppose if the latter is the result, it'll be a fitting end to the last, you know, four years of Virginia Tech football in an era that a lot of people right now want to move past and forget. But Syracuse is on the horizon here, gentlemen. And yes, zero ACC wins, but they have been uh, pesky. <laughs> in the, I don't think any of the previous three teams that they faced 
walked out of that game saying, oh, yeah, we totally want to play them again next week, given the fight that Syracuse has put up. This is a team that last year hit rock bottom from a program perspective, uh, one of their worst seasons in, in school history. Dino Babers was considered left for dead, but they're hanging in there in these games. Doug, what can we expect from the Syracuse Orange? <laughs> this is going to be an ugly game. Uh, I like Syracuse. I think they got a chance to be, if they stick with it, I think they can be, you know, peak Syracuse, which is what, like eight wins eventually. Like you're not expecting that much more from a Syracuse program when they're at their best, but you know, they, they change quarterbacks in the middle of the year. Garrett Schrader, who was at Mississippi state in 2019 is their quarterback. Um, he is a runner more than a thrower. Uh, he kind of reminds me of Kenny Pickett before Kenny Pickett was good. Um, you know, he's he's not going to throw the ball downfield very much at all. This is a game that's played, you know, if I'm Virginia Tech secondary, I'm everything's in front of me. If they beat you on the deep ball, you know, so be it. This is a game where you're you're attacking guys at the at the first down sticks and and near the line of scrimmage. Um, Sean Tucker, their freshman running back from Maryland, which is not far from Virginia Tech which I'm not saying anything, but I am saying anything. He's so good. He, he's, he's, he's legit. And, you know, I think he's one of the, he's one of those guys that in today's transfer portal world, portal world, like Syracuse already has to be worried about losing him. Like, especially if they fire Babers, like that he's good enough to play, you know, anywhere in the country. And, you know, I think that's, a, that's, yeah, I think he's got five straight games of over 100 yards. Um, just a, you know, tough to tackle. He's really good up the middle of the field, making people miss. You know, I think that's a dangerous matchup for Virginia Tech. I think they have a, like, you know, other than that, you know, there's not that much. They lost their top wide receiver, Taj Harris. He transferred in the middle of the year. Um, their offensive line is decent. Their left tackle is really good. Matthew Bergeron. You know, they've they've played a lot of close games and they've lost them all at the end. So, you know, I, I think this is going to be another close one. Uh, and I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure Virginia Tech can get it done, but I'm not sure Syracuse can get it done either. So it's, we'll we'll see what happens, I, you know, but I, I think they have a lot of a lot of guys that. You know, I'd like to see playing running around their defense is fast and athletic and, you know, that. I think they have a, a decent future if they can figure out, you know, the quarterback spot and build around Sean Tucker. Also, Tommy DeVito entering the transfer portal today. So if Garrett Schrader goes down, I don't know who's backing or who's coming into the game. Uh, like Doug was saying, it's an interesting Syracuse offense. When you think about Dino Babers and Justin Fuente, maybe at the time that they were hired, you would think this would be a high powered, you know, Great developed quarterback throwing down the field, tons of passing yardage, and it's anything but that. This might be the from a passing perspective, it might be the worst quarterback duel that you could make in the ACC. Um, it's the Sean Tucker show. Garrett Schrader and Tucker have nine touchdowns each. Um, Tucker's nearing a thousand yards, six games into the season. It's pretty much, you know, Khalil Herbert type numbers. So, um, when you think about the one area of concern on Virginia tech's defense, it's probably that run defense. Um, so it's a bad matchup for Virginia tech on that front. Um, but at least in terms of, you know, of the two ACC teams, I guess they've seen this is, you know, number three in terms of talent that they'll face. So um, like Doug was saying, this is going to be an ugly game. Um, you know, Syracuse just played Clemson super close and pretty much had a chance to win the game at the end, if not for a bad Dino Babers decision to not go for it. Um, so we're, we're talking about, you know, a, a pretty decent team. Um, but I still think all things considered, um, Virginia Tech can't do worse than than last week. I mean, that was the lowest offensive output in the Justin Fuente tenure at Virginia Tech. So um, I, I do think it's going to be a lot of running, but and low scoring, and a lot. The defense is the name of the game here, but um, I definitely don't think it's a an unbeatable Syracuse team. It'll be competitive and ugly. 
I'm sorry. I, I'm just thinking that last sentence that Matei put out there. If you had just played that for me and said, Andrew, this is what the the podcast is going to be saying a few weeks from now after the North Carolina win when we're talking about an unbeatable Syracuse team. I'm trying to convince myself here, too. <laughs> I know. I know. But it's it, it's crazy in my mind that from the highs of highs that we were at following Labor Day weekend, that it has gotten to that point, especially given that Virginia Tech, and I know it means nothing, but a couple plays away from picking up a win at West Virginia or picking up that win against Notre Dame, it all did, in fact, bottom out. But, gentlemen, let's let's get ready to wrap this thing up. I'm looking for a score prediction from you. We were all pretty much on the money last week. Virginia Tech did, in fact, get blown out. Let's see if we can try to be accurate again, but in the win column, unless you guys got something else to say. Yeah, I got something else to say. I, I think from what from what I saw last week from Virginia Tech and what I saw last week from Syracuse, Syracuse is still, you know, they're right there. They've lost three in a row, right at the last second. They're they're competing. They're 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 almost there, um, and I and I'm sure they feel that way too. I'm not sure Virginia Tech feels that way. I don't think Virginia Tech has that confidence. I don't think they have that ability to, to to hang in there and get the job done at the at the end of the at the end of the game right now i think it's going to be a close game and i think syracuse coming in with a with a essentially a two-headed monster running game in schrader and, and tucker i think that's a that's a tough matchup right now for a virginia tech team that you know needs needs things to go right to feel good about themselves and they're just going to be facing you know, downhill running game for four quarters coming right at them. So um, I don't have much confidence that that Virginia Tech's offense will get the job done. I, I don't think Syracuse is going to blow them out, but I'm going to go Syracuse 23, Virginia Tech 16. Oh, man. Well, I'm going to go the opposite angle here. I think, you know, like I was saying in that second half, they're – there was two drives that worked for Virginia Tech that you can kind of build off of. I think you kind of have to take a step back from the game plan that we saw against Richmond, uh, primarily against Notre Dame and Pittsburgh, which is, you know, getting the ball exclusively to Trey Turner. I think you have to open it up a little bit more, take less of the focus from Braxton Burmeister, which, you know, whether he's hurt, whether it's the scheme, whether he just can't flat out do it. You're going to have to try to pummel this running game and, and you know, give Syracuse not a lot of clock to work with. I think it's going to be an extremely ugly game. I think it's going to come down to the usual, the turnovers, uh, you know, special teams play. <laughs> Maybe field position doesn't even matter where Virginia Tech lined up last week. We saw it didn't matter. But, um, you know, it, maybe it comes off the leg of John Parker Romo. Um, but I think it's going to be like a 16-13 type game, and I think Virginia Tech wins in the end. Yeah, I, I'm on the same page as you, Matei, and I definitely see and feel where Doug is coming from, but maybe I can't get my head out of my heart right now because in, in our season preview on, on VT Scoop 24-7 Sports, I wrote, if the Syracuse or Duke game ends in a loss Justin Fuente might as well just call the moving truck right afterwards because it's over at that point well I do believe it is pretty much over I hope that this team given the superiority of talent that they should have over Syracuse and the fact that the game is at home can just edge one more out here and Syracuse certainly looks better otherwise but uh I'm going to go with 17-14, maybe 21-17, Virginia Tech victory. Let's bring it back to the win column. Uh, but, gentlemen, somber tone. Any uh, words to say to the folks at home before we wrap it up here? I don't have too much to say. One thing I'm seeing a lot of, uh, especially on Twitter, whenever a team is struggling, especially like a team like Virginia Tech, fans always like to go, to the next quarterback. And I've been seeing a lot of Taj Bullock talk. 
And I kind of want to shoot that down for right now. As much as I would love to see him, he's the unknown guy at 6'4", 220, dual threat guy, can throw the ball down the field probably further than Braxton Burmeister. Let's keep in mind that essentially until last week, he was on the scout team. He hasn't been getting any reps with any of the guys. He probably barely knows the offense. I think if you're thinking about a young quarterback that you're trying to develop for the long run, inserting him into the season now when the offense isn't going right, when everything around him isn't going right, is the worst possible thing you can do for a young quarterback's development. So as much as I understand the sentiment, you know, anything is better than what we're seeing now. I don't think Taj Bullock is that answer. I think one day he very well could be, but it's just not the time to throw him in. So I, I want go ahead. I, I was just going to agree with Mate. I, I, I think right now he's not, he's not going to, he shouldn't start this year. Um, he probably has to get up the speed moving from the scout team to the regular team to practice each week. So, you know, the last four games or something, if you can get him a package and, you know, assuming you're not playing for the coastal division, you know, that's, that's, that's something to watch. So, but like <laughs> seeing him come in as a savior to rescue the season and turn this offense around when he's been, you know, practicing as West Virginia's quarterback or Notre Dame's quarterback for the last, you know, for the first seven weeks of the season. That's, <laughs> that's unrealistic. I, I'd say that. <laughs> I would just add that on top of the fact that this is a true freshman quarterback that's been playing scout team, even his senior year of high school, given everything that happened with COVID in the state of New Jersey, he played about four games. This dude is (laughs) probably not ready to be a power five starting quarterback. And if it comes to that, it would be very unsafe to assume that the results are going to be better than they are right now. One other thing I'd like to add I know the way that people feel about Justin Fuente, but some of the personal attacks online just lay off. It's a result-oriented business. It's a halfway decent guy by all accounts. He's got a family. Relax on the personal talk. He's either going to be the coach or he's not going to be the coach at the end of this year. From what we've all said, we're all leaning one way rather than another. But just, I guess, let the season play out. As we mentioned before, it seems unpragmatic and unlikely that it's going to happen any sooner than that December 15th drop date. I also recommend that you all rate review and subscribe this podcast. Check out these gentlemen's work at vtscoop.com. Part of that 24 seven sports network. We'll be back next Monday, at least on Tuesday, hopefully talk about a win against Syracuse or else the, uh, the mood of this podcast, not going to get any better. Enjoy your week. Have fun this weekend. If you're going to the game, good for you. You're still hanging on. Until then, go Hokies. CBS Tonight, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale tonight, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.